If you um, keep Luke chapter 10 open, or open it again if you've closed it, maybe you could have that on the screen um, at some point. And let's pray as we come to God's word, to Luke chapter 10. Let's pray for God's help. Lord, we ask now as we come before you this morning, as we come to your word, we pray that your word would be our guide. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be amongst us to teach us and to shape us and to feed us. And Lord, we pray in everything this morning and from this day forward, your glory would be our supreme concern. Amen. Amen. Well, what's your purpose in life? I don't know if you can identify one. Um, what would it be? I mean, purposes are useful, aren't they? When you start up a new hobby, um, it's nice to have something to kind of get your hands busy with. Or if you start a new job or start a new relationship, kind of make a new friend. Uh, I don't know, all sorts of kind of thing, different things can give us a purpose in life. And they're useful, aren't they? They make us feel like we've got something to spend time on, like we've something to get out of bed for, something to put our shoulders to the wheel of so we can leave a legacy, we can make a difference, we could do something useful with our time. To have a purpose is something we need as humans. It's why it's so difficult when we lose a job or when a relationship breaks down or when we just don't really know what to do with ourselves. If you retired and perhaps you know that feeling, what do I do now that I've finished my paid work. Purpose is something really fundamental that we need as people. Well, Luke, um, well, really Jesus, through Luke in our passage today, gives us a purpose as a church, a purpose for 72 of his disciples, but really it's a purpose for all people. There's lessons we can learn for the purpose of the church. Luke's giving us a purpose we can put our shoulders to as Christians that will leave a legacy, not just in this life, that will be not just something that you know, it's useful to spend our time on for the next few minutes or hours, but really something that you can put the shoulder of your whole life to, rest your whole weight on, and leave a legacy that echoes into eternity. That's what Jesus is giving us through Luke today, a purpose for life for Christians. I wonder if it's really a helpful thing to hear the first Sunday that you're opening as a church together, that we're meeting together. It's, it's good, isn't it? To be together, to hear each other's voices singing, not just to have it kind of mediated through screens and so on, but to gather together and to be reminded of what our purpose is. There's many ways you could answer that question. What does Jesus want your purpose to be? Plenty of different answers, but today the purpose is this, to prepare the way for the king. So if you're making notes or, um, or if you'd like a, a little thing to kind of help you listen and carry on, I've got seven Ps for you to fill in. So maybe you could put a little um, list of seven Ps together and see if you can fill them in as we go along. And the first is that. What does Jesus want us to do? Well, it's what he sent these disciples to do, to prepare the way. That's your first P. This is actually a turning point in Luke's gospel. Nat mentioned it already at the beginning of chapter 10, where it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 and so on. Well, what's happened just before this is actually a big change in the story. Up until chapter 9, Luke has been telling us a story all about Jesus coming into the world. Then all of a sudden in chapter 9, the story changes direction and it's all about Jesus going. So first it's coming and then it's all about Jesus going. Going where? Well, going to the cross in Jerusalem. But there's more to it than that. It's going to the resurrection three days later and even more than that, going to his ascension to be lifted up to be king of all the world. We hear about that in Luke's second book in Acts. That's the turn in Luke's gospel from coming and people coming to hear Jesus as he's come into the world as the savior to Jesus going out of this world and on the way to rescue us, to be king forever. 
And so as Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem, that's in chapter 9, he takes some time to teach his disciples how they should be going in the world as well. They've come to him, if you like. People who've come to him, sat at his feet and listened to him, and now he begins to tell them how to go. You see that? Jesus comes, and then he goes and calls us to come to him, but then to go and prepare the way for the king. That's in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So what's their job? It's to prepare the way for the king, to go among the people of Israel and tell them that the king of Israel is about to come. They've got a message, and we'll get to what that message is later on, but that's their job, to go to different towns and places where Jesus is going to make a stop on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to heaven to be king, and prepare people to meet their maker. Now, that's not really not too far from our purpose as Christians, isn't it? You could go to Matthew 28 and say, well, here Jesus say to us, go to all nations, not just to Israel and the towns and highways and byways that he's about to travel through, but go to all nations and make disciples. But actually, you don't have to go to Matthew 28. You could look in um, a bit more depth at that verse. Why does Jesus pick 72? Have you ever thought about that? It's a very significant number. If you were to look back through the Old Testament, there's plenty of mentions of 70 or 72. But the first one of those is in Genesis chapter 10, um, just after the story of Noah, when all of the nations of the world at that time are written out in the table of nations in Genesis 10. And if you were to count them up, you'd find there are 70. And add to 70, Edom and Israel, and any maths whiz can tell us, you get 72. So there's plenty of allusions, I imagine. You can go and unpick them all later on. But I think that's one really helpful one to see that Jesus is picking 72 disciples as a sort of um, symbolic number of them being his people who are going to eventually be people from every nation who are supposed to go out to every nation to tell the whole world about the king of the whole world. Do you see that? So this is something for these people. There were actually 72 disciples picked to go and tell Israel about the king of Israel. But also one day there'll be people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And I know there's more than 70 nations in the world now, but it's a symbolic thing. So one day there's going to be you and I, people from every tribe and tongue and nation, going to every tribe and tongue and nation to tell them about the king who's king over, not just Israel anymore, the king of every tribe and tongue and nation. So that's our purpose, is to prepare the way for the king. But how do we do it? Well, we do it in pairs. This is kind of who we do it with. Did you see that? He sends them out two by two in pairs to go ahead of him to prepare the way for the king. So we need a team. They needed each other for accountability, for company when you get lonely. Only in going as humans. It's not just that we're supposed to not go alone and so bring a team, but we're not supposed to go alone as people. We're supposed to go with God. Did you see that? That's in the next verse. Before he sends them out, Imagine them ready, rearing to go, um, sandals tied up, no bags packed, as we'll get to in a minute. But they're ready to go, and all of a sudden Jesus says, hold on, there's a priority that you need that comes before just getting going. And what's that priority? This is our third key. It's prayer. He told them in verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Do you know that's your number one job? Your number one mission in the world is to go and pray for people 
to go. Is to pray that it would happen. And that means this is an equal opportunities mission. Anybody can be involved in this. If you don't have the physical health to get yourself a plane ticket and go to the ends of the earth and share the gospel there. If you don't even have, I don't know, the confidence. If you can't even speak and, and then knock on your neighbour's door, you're locked in at home. Well, this is still what we can do, isn't it? And it's the biggest, greatest priority that we have is to pray. Everybody can do this, and it's something that Jesus calls each one of his people to do, to pray for workers to go into the harvest field. Because it really is a big harvest field. And still today, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Um, I was looking at this morning, the population of Kladach, anybody tell me? is about 7,500. I was trying to look for the SA6, that's the postcode here, I'm not sure, I couldn't find the population for that, that'll be a bit bigger. But Kladach itself is 7,500. Let's say if there are, I don't know, around 50 people connected with um, Bethel Church, is that about right? So we'll say that, as an average, that means there's one of us to every 150 people, just in Kladach. Which is an awful lot of people, isn't it, for us to reach with the good news of Jesus. It's one every two days. If each one of us was to share the gospel with somebody every two days for the whole of the rest of the year, and it has to be somebody different each time, that would eventually, in a, in a year's time, we would reach every single person in Quebec. That's a lot of people. It? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of courage. It's a lot of words. It's a lot of opportunities. It's a huge harvest field, and not many workers. And so Jesus says, don't just go and get cracking. Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers in the harvest. But if you think not just of Klidach, but of the world, go on something like the Joshua Project uh, website, joshuaproject.org, you'll find out that there are 3.2 billion people in the world who have never even heard the name of Jesus. There's probably more than that, but 3.2 billion people in the world who who are considered unreached. That means they don't have enough Christians in their people group, in their community, to reach them all with the gospel. So for us, it's kind of 1 to 150. Well, that's possible. It's hard, but it's possible. Well, there are 3.2 billion people in the world for whom it's basically statistically impossible for them to hear about Jesus. That means there are 3.2 billion people, at least, in the world who could go through their whole lives and not even accidentally come across somebody who could share the good news of Jesus with them. It's almost half the world's population. It's a huge number of people. It's a staggering harvest. And so few workers. That really should drive us to our knees, as we were singing before. It should drive us to prayerful dependence on God. Now, my wife, Bethan, she's a Welsh speaker. So when she was at university in Aberystwyth, where we met, and she joined the Welsh Christian Union. There were uh, four or five of them in this little group of Welsh-speaking Christians who were trying to reach the several thousand um, Welsh-speaking students in Aberystwyth. And so they, they prayed, that's basically all they did to begin with, sat down, met together and prayed for their friends. And then they put on an Alpha course, a Christianity Explored course here and there, and by the end of the first year, um, they doubled their numbers. Four or five people had come to faith. Um, a good number, I think at least four of those are still going strong. One of them is married to a church planter not far from where I live in Ammonfred. Um, they saw 100% growth um, because they prayed. But it was still so few for such a big harvest field. So we really do need to pray. Pray for workers to join us here in Tadakh. And pray for workers to go out to the ends of the earth to reach those 3.2 billion people. Maybe you could do that this week. Maybe you could commit to setting your alarm 10 minutes earlier than you usually do. 
You can still hit snooze three times or whatever you do, but just set it 10 minutes earlier, hit snooze three times and then get up and open your Bible to these verses and say, Lord, you've called us to pray for workers in the harvest field. So would you send some? Would you call some more to Kledak? Because we've got a big task on our hands. Would you call some more to the ends of the earth? Because that's an even bigger task. And then don't be surprised if as you're praying, as often happens, God puts his finger on your heart and says, you are the answer to that prayer. See, this isn't just a passage for professional missionaries or professional Christians um, like me. It's a task for each one of us to be a part of, where Jesus calls us all as the people of the world to go to the nations of the world to prepare the way for the king of the world. And the first thing we have to do is to pray. So you could do that, couldn't you? Ten minutes earlier this week, just get up and pray for the harvest field and for workers. And as we pray, as we go and do some research about the places that people need to go to, um, as we go to our neighbours, what will we find? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 3, go, go on then. We've had a pray. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So this is our fourth P, which is danger, which is a D in English, but in Welsh it's perigal. So that counts. Okay, you can write that down. P-E-R-Y-G-L. That's how you spell it in Welsh. It means danger or dangerous. And that's what Jesus says it's going to be. Dangerous. For many people in the world, I mean really physically dangerous. You could go to somewhere like North Korea and, and maybe after the virus is finished, you could get in there reasonably easily as a tourist. But if you start sharing the gospel with people, there's very little chance that you'll come home again. It's very dangerous for some people, many people in the world, to share the good news of Jesus publicly. Not so dangerous for us physically, but it is dangerous to our reputations, isn't it? Maybe some of you know that. It's dangerous to relationships. Dangerous to, um, well, to our kind of sense of well-being when we feel rejection from others. It is dangerous in certain ways for us. But Jesus doesn't send us out anywhere where he isn't willing to go himself. Just think about this language again. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Who is the lamb in scripture? From all the way, pretty close to the beginning, when we hear about the lamb at Passover, points us towards Jesus, who John the Baptist said is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the lamb. And so it reminds us, because we know the end of the story, it reminds us of where Jesus is going. He's on his road, sending them ahead of him, but... He is the Lamb of God on his road up to Jerusalem where he would be surrounded by a pack of wolves. In a quiet garden at midnight, he'd be praying and a pack of wolves would surround him, men with clubs and torches and they'd drag him off and they'd throw him before another pack of wolves in a court and they would accuse him and you know, bark and scream at him and throw accusations like a, a pack of wolves and then they would take him and throw him to the soldiers, another pack of wolves, and they would tear him almost apart strip his clothes off and beat him half to death. And then they would take him to another pack of wolves who crucified him on a hill and his blood would be shed, poured out for you and I. Jesus doesn't, go, doesn't call us to go anywhere where he isn't willing to go himself, where he didn't go himself to be pulled apart by the wolves at his crucifixion, to be bitten by the teeth of death and not to be rescued at least not at first, to be pulled down into death by a pack of wolves for Satan's teeth to sink them into Jesus as he went down to become sin for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus is the one who went into that 
pack of wolves who went into darkness to drink up all of that darkness, to take away the wrath of God, the anger of God at our sin, to take away suffering one day once and for all, to take away all that we deserve so that we could live in freedom, so that we could know when we go into the packs of wolves and it's dangerous for us to go and share the good news of Jesus, we know that he's with us. Because three days later, Jesus rose again. We've sung about that already. Three days later, Jesus rose again from death and, and rules as king forever. Which means that when we go into dangerous places, we know it's not the end. Even if people take our lives, we know that really they're just speeding us into Jesus' presence. Even if people take our reputations, we know that there's still a God who's alive, who loves us and looks at us and says, you are my beloved son. My beloved daughter, with whom I'm well pleased. Your reputation can't be touched with Jesus. He's alive and he looks at you and loves you. So whatever we lose, because Jesus is alive, because he's gone through the cross for us, ultimately it won't be lost. As Paul says at the beginning of Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's plenty of things before death itself that feel like death that are still gain because we trust in Jesus and rest on him all the more. So going into the world is a dangerous thing. It's full of perigo. Our reputations, our um, physical health can be at risk. But remember, each step of the way, because Jesus died and rose again, he's with you. He is the one who is sending you. He is the one sending you into his harvest fields. Did you spot that in the prayer? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, if you ask the Lord of the harvest... The Lord of the harvest. It means he owns the harvest field. So he's not just the one doing the sending. He's the one sending us into his harvest fields with his message in his strength. And he promises to be there, right there with us as the lamb who's gone before us into the pack of wolves and beyond into life. So a little story about a man called Wang Mingdao. He was a famous Chinese preacher in the 1940s, um, particularly amongst the kind of student movements in China. He was put in prison um, for 30-odd years from the 1940s, eventually released um, sometime around the 1980s, and he was um, interviewed. Somebody asked him, what was it like? You know, talked about his experience in prison, mostly in solitary confinement for 30 years, and asked him if he was bitter at having lost the, the 30 year, uh, kind of best, strongest years of his life, 30 years lost of preaching and service to God, asked him if he was bitter, and he said no. I have not a hint of bitterness. Do you know what he says? Those times in prison for me were like a honeymoon with Jesus. He was so close to him in the midst of that pack of wolves in solitary confinement for years and decades. But he said Jesus was so close to him, fulfilled his promises so fully it was like a honeymoon with Jesus. So he promises to go with you. Wherever you go, he'll be with you and has already walked the path of suffering before you. So can I encourage you? One practical thing. Don't stay safe when it comes to sharing the gospel with others. I don't mean don't wear masks or don't take a vaccination. I think those are sensible things and good ways to love our neighbour. What I mean is we've been getting into the habit of saying stay safe, stay safe, but we shouldn't let that creep into our life as Christians, as missionaries, as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus. Don't stay safe when it comes to sharing the gospel with those around us. Well, our fifth P is God's provision. We've talked about this a little already in his provision of himself for us. 
on the cross and himself with us as we go. But Jesus teaches them a lesson about his provision as they go. Have a look at this. Do not take a purse, in verse 4, or bag or sandals, and don't greet anyone on the road. I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. It's going to be dangerous. So don't pack anything for the journey that will make it any easier. It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Don't take sandals. Don't take a bag. Don't take anything else. What's Jesus doing? Because he's not giving us a command for all time for all Christians. We know that because later in this book, in Luke 22, you can go and look it up. I think it's verse 35. And Jesus says to them, do you remember the time, the same disciples, do you remember the time I sent you out without a bag and provisions? And they said, yes, we lacked nothing. That was the lesson he was trying to teach them. You can look it up in Luke 22. He's trying to teach them to trust in his provision. It's not a blanket command for all of us to go and sell all of our possessions, but to trust completely in God as we go. Some of us, perhaps many of us in this country, live pretty comfortable lives. So perhaps a challenge for us this morning would be to ask, what would it look like for me to go and do risky things without my own provision at hand? What would it look like for me to give generously to such a degree that I was in a pretty precarious position and had to just trust in the Lord and his provision? See, Jesus is setting up a lesson for them to go somewhere really dangerous, to do something that seems really stupid with very little of their own provision, So he's asking them to trust in his provision. So what might it be for you? Ask God to show you how you could apply that lesson, how you could throw yourself on his provision completely, how you could do something risky for him and trust and learn that he'll provide for you in every circumstance. Um, Another story of some African students this time. Um, They were from sub-Saharan Africa and went to study in North Africa on the Mediterranean coast. Um, Not many of them. There were 17 who knew each other as Christians and Scattered in different universities, they tried to set up little groups of Christians. And they were pretty tired at the end of the year, as you can imagine, from working hard at their studies and working hard at sharing the good news in a pretty dangerous place in North Africa. And so they, um, they booked a conference center, a camping ground by the sea, all put their money in a pot and, um, and went to camp for a week to encourage each other and have a bit of time of refreshment. And they realized when they got there that they'd spent all their money on booking the place to stay and they didn't have any money left for food. Um, Literally, they didn't have any money left for food. Poor sub-Saharan African students, far away from home. And so they went down to the beach and got out a guitar and just started to sing and pray that God would provide and be with them for the week. And a fishing boat pulled up. A fishing boat of Korean fishermen, far, far away from home, who'd heard some familiar music and um, stopped to see what it was. So they jumped out of the boat, came ashore, started chatting to them or trying to communicate and worked out that these were Korean Christians who were far away from home. And then they shared their need with them and said, we don't have any food to give you, sorry about that. And the Korean fishermen said, oh, we've had a brilliant catch today. We've got loads of fish. You can have some of ours. And so they pulled some fish to shore and fed them. And then they did that every single evening of the conference. They didn't know these people before. They just prayed to God for his provision. And it turned up in a miraculous catch of fish. I wonder if you've heard any stories like that in the gospel. But God provides from recent stories like that in the 1990s to old, old stories like George Muller who ran his orphanages, had just said yes to any child who turned up at his door, went looking for people, even though he didn't have many resources to feed them. But so many stories he had of people knocking on the door and giving them milk just in time for breakfast, knocking on the door and giving them bread just in time for supper. God provides for his people. So we should learn to depend on him and trust him and know the joy of his provision. But 
There's more going on in this than just a lesson about God's provision. Imagine what it would be like for these disciples to turn up in a town with nothing. What would it do for the people of the town? I mean, they turn up in the town and they preach about Jesus, and then they basically have to sleep in the streets. Unless somebody says, come into my house. So these messengers, they're there, if it's evening time, they're there in the town square, sleeping rough, unless somebody says, come into my house, and they begin to welcome the messengers and welcome the gospel at the same time. Do you, see, do you see what Jesus is doing? He's sending them out with nothing so that they can't just preach the gospel and then book into a hotel at night and kind of leave it with people to think about. He's making the people of the towns where they're going, he's making them make a decision. You could put it like this, he's electrifying the fence for the people who are listening to the messengers because they come into the town, they share the gospel, and then everybody has a choice. Do they go in home again and close the door to the messengers and close the door to Jesus? Or do they open their doors and say, come on in, we'd love to hear a bit more about this. You see, they can't sit on the fence. They either kick them out onto the streets or they welcome them in. That's what's happening with this. Jesus says, go, essentially, and electrify the fence for the people that you're going to. Make them make a decision about whether they welcome the king or reject the king. How might we do that as we go and share the good news with people? Well, we play a bit of a longer game, don't we? Not many of us kind of travel around as itinerant preachers from town to town. Most of us have houses and live next to neighbours. Perhaps we've lived next to them for years. Or people in school and and friends and colleagues. And we know them for a long time. But perhaps at some point, with God's strength and in his timing, with his wisdom, it'll be time for us to electrify the fence for the people that we've shared the gospel with. Time for us to ask them. I've shared about Jesus a lot with you. Do you have any questions? No, I don't have any questions. Okay. Would you like to become a Christian? And it might be time for you to ask them. So they have to give you a yes or a no. That's not the first thing that we do when we bump into somebody. Uh, I guess unless the Lord leads you in that direction. But, but there'll be a time when we should say more than just, I went to church on Sunday. And kind of hope that they say something back. Well, there'll be a time, let's pray, that God would give us opportunities and wisdom. And in his timing, have a chance to ask if somebody would like to come and start walking with Jesus. So we need to electrify the fence. But how do we do that? And what is our message? And these are our last two Ps to look at in the passage today. You could sum up those first five by saying that we're God's ambassadors, his urgent ambassadors. That's, by the way, that's what not greeting anyone is about. It's not about being rude as we go. It's about um, sticking to the task. It's about not getting waylaid on the way and going to do another job before you go on Jesus's work. No, we're to be urgent ambassadors representing the king to those around us. But what do we say? as his ambassadors. What's our message? Well, our last two Ps, peace and power. And they go together. That's the message. Did you see that in verse five? When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And verse eight, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you, God's gonna provide, and heal in verse nine, heal those who are ill and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So we're to bring peace and speak peace. We're to bring power and speak power. How do we do that exactly? Well, we're to serve others. You see, they go into towns and when they're welcomed, they find out what people need and they serve those needs. We might not, uh, in this day, uh, with the gifts that we have, have the gifts of healing that these people did at this time, um, going kind of on the forefront of Jesus's mission. Perhaps we might, but, um, but we can at least find the needs that people have and serve them. 
with God's strength, with God's provision, and bring peace into people's lives. And then definitely, not just in serving people, we should go and speak peace and speak God's power. Do you see how those two things work together? That as they heal people, people enjoy peace in their lives. That's a big theme in Luke. And they know God's power, bringing that peace. And then as they speak about this kingdom that's coming, this kingdom that is about to come with Jesus, it's a kingdom of peace where Jesus brings forgiveness and peace to the lives of those who accept him. And where he brings power, power into the lives of those who welcome him. So it's a good message, isn't it? It's really good news, as we often say. It's the gospel, good news, where we go and serve others and show them what it's like to live in God's kingdom. Show them what it's like to live under the good king of peace, but where we also proclaim and say the king is coming and his name is Jesus. So we have words and deeds going together in our message and in our lives. But sometimes people welcome that and sometimes they don't. This is, this is how this passage ends in sadness. Because what does Jesus say in verse 13? Um, he's been giving them all of these rules and kind of working quite methodically through a, um, an instruction list of how to go and be his messengers in the world. And then all of a sudden, it's as if his heart overflows, bubbles up with, um, with deep emotion. That's what woe is all about. When we read this, we're not supposed to see Jesus with a smirk on his face, kind of enjoying the judgment of people. We're supposed to see him deeply in anguish, deeply hurting at people who reject him and walk away. So woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. For the mirac- if the miracles performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? They were a very proud town built on a hill. No, you'll go down to Hades. See, Jesus says, this is good news for those who accept it, but it's very, very bad news for the people who don't. You see, it's the same message, isn't it? In verse, um, verse, 10, verse 11, when somebody rejects you, say, even the dust of your town we wipe from, your feet, from our feet as a warning, yet be sure of this, exactly the same words, The kingdom of God has come near. So you see that the good news of Jesus is also the bad news of Jesus if you don't welcome that news. It's it's a response that cuts Jesus to the heart. To, To have people know that he's king and yet walk away from him. To have people know that there's peace and yet choose not peace. Do you see... It's perhaps a hard thing for us to proclaim in our country, perhaps a hard thing for us to get our heads around. Perhaps it feels like Jesus is being judgmental and we don't like to think about judgment and Hades and hell and those kind of things. But these are words on Jesus' lips. So we need to take them seriously and take them to heart. If you welcome Jesus, then there's peace and power in this life and forever. But if you turn away from Jesus, then you embrace not peace. If you turn away from the king of power, then he uses his power against you to, to punish and give us what we deserve for turning away from him. You turn away from the king of peace and not peace is darkness and Hades and eternal death. It's sadness that seems to tear Jesus' heart. But the passage doesn't end completely with judgment. I mean, it ends... Uh, the portion that we read in verse 16, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So 
don't be discouraged. If people reject us, they're not just rejecting us, they're rejecting really, they're rejecting Jesus. And they're walking away from God, ultimately. But don't let that be a discouragement to you. Because people will welcome this message. I want you to take home the rest of these verses and look at them this afternoon. Read from verse 18 to 24 and there's three more P's to look at. Three more P's that bring us joy in all of this. Um, The first one, go ahead and study it this afternoon. The first one is that you have a place. A place that belongs to you where your name is written, where you will be at home. And the the second is that you're connected to a person to the Father. And the third is that this is a huge privilege to know about this King of Peace. Um, Right now, in this life, is an enormous privilege, and to get to share him with others is a great joy. So take that home and read about the joy that there is. Perhaps someday I'll come and um, preach that to you, and we'll finish off and give ourselves kind of ten nice uh, round number of ten Ps altogether. But take that home and see that this passage ends with joy, that many people do welcome this, and get to know that they have a place in heaven, get to know the Father who brings joy, and the privilege of seeing Jesus as he really is. But let's not forget as well the sadness that there is for those who reject it. So let's read that and hear that as a warning for us this morning as we go. Let's be people who listen to the Lord Jesus and who follow him. Can I give you a couple of practical ways of sharing Jesus with others as we go? Remembering the urgency that there is as um, as God's judgment, as that last day hangs over us. We'll go, and as we go, um, let's listen to people well. If you're having a new fence built... Get it built with five-foot feathers instead of seven-foot, so you can see your neighbours and chat to them. If you're going to the gym or going for a run, take your headphones out, leave them at home, and go and talk to people. Let them talk to you. And as we talk, let's listen. Ask somebody about how they were brought up uh, and listen to their response. Have a drink in your hand so that when they talk to you and stop talking, you can just take a long drink. So there's a nice awkward pause, and they can talk some more. Listen to our neighbours. And when we have an opportunity, let's speak about the Lord Jesus and share a little story, a surprising story with him, uh, with them about him. And as we go, let's be urgent ambassadors, people filled with joy, knowing that we have a place in heaven, knowing we have a father, knowing that we have the privilege of having Jesus walk with us. Let's be people who go and fulfill in God's strength the purpose that we have of making people ready to meet their king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you give us this purpose, that you don't just give us life and uh, leave us to our own devices to try and invent our own um, purpose, invent our own meaning. But Lord, we thank you that you give us a wonderful purpose to be about, a purpose that will echo in eternity. Lord, a purpose that will leave a legacy in the lives of many. Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage, that you give us the resources, that you provide for us. Lord, help us to see the Lord Jesus, that we would have the courage and spiritual resources to go and face the dangers of sharing the good news with others. Lord, we thank you so much for the joy that, um, that it is to be on mission with you. We thank you for the greater joy of belonging to you and being safe with you because of the cross of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you bring us to your Father and welcome us home. Lord, we thank you so much that you have given us this purpose to take such good news of peace and power to the world. Lord, we pray that you would give us courage to do that this week. We pray that you would... And forgive us and help us know the freedom of your forgiveness when we make a mess of it. Lord, when we miss opportunities, when we don't speak as we should, when we just don't know what to say, Lord, we pray that you would provide for us, that you would forgive us, and Lord, that you would help us to go in the freedom that there is in grace and in the joy of the good news to go to our neighbours.